You know, I'm glad somebody else, whoever made that video, caught our uncanny desire to use the word just a lot when we pray. Y'all know what I'm talking about? You ever hear that? Just, uh, just, uh, no. Okay, excellent. Good morning. I'm glad to be here with you this morning at Randall Church. I think the last time I was here, I realized this morning I was actually closing uh, the Christmas series this past year. And so I don't know what it is about Milo that he just doesn't like to close sermon series. You know, I guess he just enjoys them so much he never wants them to come to a close. But whatever. Anyway, I'm here with you this morning, and, and I'm glad to be here this morning. You know, I've really enjoyed uh, going through this prayer series that, that we've been going through over at Renewal as well uh, over the past couple of weeks. And, and I've really enjoyed that, that as we're talking about prayer, we're, we're going through the book of Psalms and, and just uh, using a couple of the Psalms uh, and, and actually praying the scriptures. And I love just, just praying the scriptures and, and using the Psalms as a guide for two reasons. Uh, first of all, because because sometimes we, we just don't know how to pray. Sometimes we just, we don't really know how to pray. Do you ever feel that way? H- have you ever just gone before God and, and, and just been like, God, I, I know that, that I need to pray right now and I, I really just don't know what to pray. I know that I'm in need of, of communing with you and, and I just don't have the words. I don't have the words. I don't, I don't know what it is that I need to say right now. Man, Listen, I, I grew up in the church. I, I, I've been going to church ever since I was a little baby. I was, I was saved at a young age. I, I came to know Christ when I was eight years old. I was a, a leader in my youth group. I was, I was a missionary in China for two years. I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church. And sometimes even I go before God and just say, God, I, I don't even know what to say right now. And, and so we're letting the scriptures guide us, and we're, we're letting the scriptures teach us how to pray. If you've ever had that feeling, man, let me just, know, let, me just let you know you're, you're not alone. If you've ever had that feeling where you've, you've gone before God and, and just don't have the words, you're not alone. Praying through the Psalms is, is, is so cool to me because the Psalms is, is still God's holy and Aaron spirit-inspired word. It's still his word, and yet it, it expresses the feelings of men that we often have ourselves. And so they teach us how to pray. And as we pray them, we, we feel the feelings of the psalmist. We feel his deep desires. We feel his, his deep desire to praise God. We feel his deep desire to, to know God all the more. And second, I love praying through the psalms because it has both an, an individual and a corporate uh, implication in prayer. It has both individual and corporate in implications in prayer and in praise for God. And both of those things are important. We should be praying individually as well as corporately, as well as together as the church body, coming to God as his people and saying, God, we, we are your people and we're here to give you praise. We, we desire you more. We want to know you all the more. It has both implications. And many of these psalms were, were written by, by just one person, but, but they were written to be used in corporate worship. The psalms were actually the hymn book of Israel. Did you know that? The, these, these were the songs 
that they would sing to God together. These are our prayers that they would pray together as, as they came together as the people of God to worship him. And they have both that individual and corporate aspect of prayer. And both are important. And we're going to see today that, that both affect one another. And so I hope you've enjoyed going through the Psalms uh, in this prayer series just as much as I have. Um, today we're going to be uh, uh, closing the series with Psalm 51. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and be turning to Psalm 51. If, uh, if you don't know where the book of Psalms is, you can, you can really just literally open your Bible right to the middle and you'll probably be there. It's one book after Job, right before the book of Proverbs. Psalms 51. If you don't have your Bible, I believe the, the words are going to be on the screen, uh, one of the screens to the side of me. Today we're going to be talking about confession and repentance in prayer. Confession and repentance in prayer. Psalm 51 is, is, is probably one of the best known psalms. It's probably one of the psalms that, that many Christians have, have read through and even prayed through uh, several times. And it's, it's what's called a penitent psalm, meaning it's a psalm of, of confession and repentance. And let me just uh, kind of set up the scene real quick as to when this psalm was written. If you look at the very top of it, it says, To the choir master, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So we have this story in the Bible. We find it back in, in 2 Samuel uh, chapters 11 and 12. And basically what's happened is, is David, the king of Israel, the anointed, appointed by God, king of Israel, was supposed to be out at war. All right, his armies were out at war, and the Bible even tells us it was springtime when, when kings are normally at war, and yet we find David back at his palace. And one night he wanders onto his roof, and, uh, and from the roof of, of his palace, the place where he lives, he looks down and he sees a woman bathing on the roof. And he sends his messengers to go and get her because he wants to sleep with her. This is the king of Israel. So she, she really can't say no, okay? And he, he sends his messengers to go and get her. And then, because she's a married woman, he says, okay, well, well I've got to cover this up. Eventually, she, she becomes pregnant with his child. His, her, her husband has is, is been off at war. He's one of his soldiers. And there's no way to cover it up. So what does he do? He has her husband killed in battle. He tells all the other soldiers to, to, to pull back from him. He puts him at the, at, the, at the worst spot of fighting, and he tells all the other soldiers to, to pull back from him so he'll be struck down. And then when he's struck down, he takes Bathsheba to be, in to be his wife. So he has, he has basically raped a woman, and he has murdered her husband. He's committed adultery. He's... He's done some, some really bad stuff here. And the worst part is he, he lives with it for a while. He lives with it. And he, he, he doesn't let it bother him that much. And then finally, God sends a prophet. His name was Nathan. And he tells him a parable. Nathan tells, tells David a parable about two men, a rich man and a poor man. And they were neighbors. The poor man had nothing but one little you, you lamb? I don't know how to say that word. You lamb? You lamb? Do y'all know how to say it? You lamb. Okay. He has one little you lamb, and, and, and this lamb is like a part of his family. The, the rich man next door, he's got, he's got all these flocks and herds and everything, and yet when somebody comes, a friend comes to visit the rich man, he goes and steals the poor man's one lamb. 
and he kills him, and he, and he, he offers it to his friend as a meal. And Nathan tells him this parable, and, and David's anger just rises within him. You, you understand that David was, was a shepherd before he was the king, right? So, so he understands like a love for sheep. He understands like a love for animals and, and what this really means. And his anger rises within him, and he says, who is that man? I demand justice. And Nathan says, David, you are the man. You're the man. And all of a sudden, David's world just just comes crashing down. He's broken. His heart is broken. And finally, God breaks through to him and he realizes just what he's done. He realizes the seriousness of what he has done. And I can, I can just imagine that, you know, the Bible says right after Nathan said this to him, he just gets up and walks out. It's just kind of like a mic drop, you know? Boom. And walks out. And I can just picture David just, just not saying anything to those who were in his presence and just walking out and going to his room and just falling on the floor before God, recognizing just, just what he's done. And, and, and he pins this psalm as he's in that position. His heart is broken by sin, by his sin. What is sin? What is sin? Sometimes we, we throw that word around, but, but we don't really stop and think what sin is. Sin is any action, attitude, or thought that goes against God's character. Any action, attitude, or thought. It's a disposition. It's, it, it's, so it's not just actions. It's not just when we do stuff. It's, it's something in us. It's a disposition. It's an attitude. It's a thought as well. It's not defined by our culture. It's not, it's not what culture says is wrong. And it's not being as bad or, or worse than someone else that we know is, is really bad. You know, we don't, we don't get a, a get out of jail free card because, well, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. That's not what defines sin. And it's not, it's not just hurting other people. That's, that's, that's part of it. Sin does that, but that's not what defines it. It's defined by God and who he is. Anything that goes against his character is sin. So David pins this confession as he recognizes his sin. And today I want us to look at Psalm 51 and see five needs to recognize when we're confessing our sin. So let's read Psalm 51. We're going to read it all the way through. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me 
with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You would not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. So the first need that I want us to see, the first need that I want us to recognize when, when, when we're praying in confession and repentance is the need for God's mercy. Number one is the need for God's mercy. Look at verses one and two with me again. It says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. See, when we sin, the only one who has the power to give mercy is the one who we have sinned against. It, it starts with God, like, like so many of the Psalms, like all of the Psalms that, that we've looked at in this prayer series. It, it starts first with God. David, when, when Nathan comes to him, he says, you are the man, David. You are the man. He immediately recognizes his need for the mercy of God. When he recognizes his sin, he immediately recognizes the need for the mercy of God. Immediately, his heart is broken over his sin. And so the first thing he blurts out is, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, O God. Do you want to know why we need God's mercy? Do you know why we need God's mercy? It's, it, 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 it's because God says that we need God's mercy. Did you know that? God says that, that we are in need of his mercy. It, it's not because of, of some feeling that's within us. Okay, it's not just because of some feeling that's within us, but it's because God is the only one who can declare someone a sinner or just. He's the only one who can declare what is right and what is wrong. He can, he's the only one who declares what is and isn't sin. Now the Holy Spirit is, is God living inside of us. He's, he's one of, of the three persons of the Trinity. He's, he's holy God, and he's one of the persons, and he lives within us when we come to know Christ. The instant that we come to know Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. And, and if we have the Holy Spirit within us, and we're listening to the Holy Spirit, then we are gonna, we are gonna uh, feel that conviction. We are gonna feel the conviction of our sin. But we can, we can ignore it. We can choose to ignore it. David didn't, didn't have the Holy Spirit living inside of him. It, it wasn't until Jesus died and resurrected from the dead and ascended back to the right hand of the Father that the Holy Spirit began indwelling people, but he says that the Holy Spirit was upon him. And, and David chose to ignore him. David chose to ignore him for all of that time. We can choose to ignore him sometimes, but we know that God has declared what is and isn't sin. We can, we can know what, what, that we need God's mercy because he has told us 
then we need God's mercy. It's not always depending on, on how we're feeling. I was talking to a pastor of another church in North Tonawanda this past week, and he was telling me about a guy that's in his church, a, a family that's in his church, that the, uh, the dad, the husband, uh, left his wife. He left his wife uh, about two or three weeks ago. And, and the guy came to this pastor and said, you know what? I feel like God has never blessed me more than since I left my wife. I, I feel like God was calling me to leave my wife. Man, that's, there's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with that. There, there's something that does not line up with Scripture about that because God has said that, that he hates divorce and God has said that, that he wants us to stay with the one that we have vowed to, to give our lives to. And so for him to go off of this feeling that's inside of him saying that, yeah, you know, I, th- I think God is, is good with that. I, I think God even blesses that. Man, he's, he's, he's using bad judgment. He's not, he's not basing what he sees as sin on, on what God says is sin. He's basing it on, on what culture says is sin or what he has, has judged to be sin or not sin. But God tells us that we need his mercy. God tells us what is sin. The psalmist goes further. He appeals to God's character, his very nature, to give this mercy to him. He says, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. See, David knows this God that he's speaking to. David knows this God that he's speaking to. He knows who this God is. He knows that God is a God of mercy and steadfast love. He knows that that he is a God who keeps his covenants with his people. And how does he know who God is? Because he knows the word of God. He knows the word of God. In Exodus 34, when when Moses goes up on on Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments yet again, because he kind of destroyed them the first time, he's going up to meet with God, and and God descends on the mountain in in the form of a cloud. And he says this in verses 6 and 7. He says, this this is God speaking. God speaking about himself, about who he is. He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You see these very words in this psalm. David's just praying them right back to him. He's appealing to to who God says he is. He says, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. David knew who this God was that he was crying out to. He knew who God was because he listened to who God said he was. That's how he knew who God was. David knew God's mercy because he dug into God's word, because, because he knew God's word. Do you know this God? Do you know this God? Do you know who he is? Have you, have you gone to him to see who he is? Do you believe that, that God is everything that he says he is? Do you believe that we can look to his word to see who he is? The more we know him, the more we know our need for him. Do you recognize both your need for his mercy and his desire and faithfulness to give it to you? Number two, the need 
for taking responsibility. This is the second need that we see in David's prayer of confession. The need for taking responsibility. Read verses uh, three through five with me. It says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Do you ever have the tendency to play the blame game with your sin? Do you ever have the tendency to, to play the blame game? It's so-and-so's fault that I was a jerk, you know, because they were a jerk to me. Man, it's, 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 it's because such and such happened today that, that I blew up on my wife and kids today. Man, it's, it's because of all that I've, I've been having to deal with that I sin. It's, it's because of, of this. It's because of that. We can be pretty good at that. I, I, I know I, I get pretty good at that sometimes. Whatever the case may be, we're pretty good at blaming someone outside of ourselves for our actions. Sounds a lot like what happened in the garden, doesn't it? When Adam sinned and God came to him, what did he say? Well, it's the, it's the woman you gave me. She made me do it. And then, and then God looks to the woman and she says, well, it was, it was because of the serpent. It was because you made that fruit just look so delicious. We're, we're good at, at putting the blame somewhere else. But y'all, we gotta start to see that sin is something that comes from the heart. It, 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 it's a heart problem. It's a heart problem. You know, the very essence of sin is, is taking God from where he deserves to be in the highest place and putting something else above him. That's, that's the essence of sin. That's, that's what Adam and Eve did in the garden. Man, they, they wanted, they wanted to, to be like God more than they wanted to know God. They wanted to, to taste some delicious fruit more than they wanted to, to know the Lord that walked in the garden with them. And it's time that we start taking responsibility for our own sin. It's time that we start owning up to our sin. It's, it's time that we start to connect our actions to our heart. Not playing the blame game. It's not somebody else's fault. It's, it's not uh, the fault of some situation that we're in. It's a problem of the heart. Getting lost in my notes a little bit here. David recognizes his need. He recognizes that the sin is his. Verse three says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Man, he takes his, his sin seriously because he knows God takes his sin seriously. Do you, take, do you take your sin as seriously as God takes it? God is, is, is clear that he's, he's pretty serious about sin. He's pretty serious about it. Do you know how I know that, that he's, he's very serious about it? Because he sent his own son to die to pay the penalty for it. Man, you don't do that for something you're not serious about. You don't do that for something you're not serious about. But are we as serious about our sin as God is? What about those little sins? What about those little things? You know what I'm talking about, the, the little things? 
you know, not, not just like murder, not just like, you know, the things that, that David had going on here. He had some pretty big stuff going on here. But what about the, the, the little things? You know, those things that we just think, well, you know, everybody does it. It's not that big of a deal. Everybody tells a little white lie every now and then. I, I have a friend, my best friend actually, back home in Louisiana, uh, Rob. We've known each other since, since I was in middle school, he was in high school. He was a little bit older than me. And, and what we used to do when he got his driver's license, what we used to do, we, we, I'm from New Orleans, for, for those of you who don't know me, and uh, we, would, we would go down to the French Quarter at night. Now, on the weekends. Now, I knew that my parents did not want me going down to the French Quarter at night. There's, there's really just no reason for a 15-year-old to be down in the French Quarter on a Friday night by himself, okay? And I wasn't, I wasn't really doing anything that bad. You know, like, we were just going down, we were just listening to the music, like eating the food and stuff, but I knew that my parents didn't want me there. And so what did we do? What did we do to cover up for it? We would go back to Rob's house before he brought me home, and, uh, and we would go get a movie. It was, it was VHS at this time, all right? DVD wasn't that big back then. And, and he would throw me the movie, and I would catch it. And then I would throw him the movie, and he would catch it. And then I would go home and tell my parents, yeah, we just caught a movie. We just, we just caught a movie that night. <laughs> and uh, it was just a little white lie, right? I mean, like... I wasn't doing anything bad down in the French Quarter. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was just telling my parents a, a little white lie, and technically it was, it was the truth. We did catch a movie, but I was being deceptive, and I was doing, uh, I was dishonoring my parents by, by not being honest with them and, and doing the things that, that I knew they didn't want me doing. And that's something that, that went against God. There's something that, that doesn't conform to the character of God. God's not deceptive. God doesn't tell white lies. He doesn't do those things. He says to honor our parents. I didn't take that sin very seriously until, until I was much older. I didn't understand the seriousness of my sin. Where are some of those, those little things for you? What are some of those little things for you? Those things that, that you've just become numb to. Those things that, that you're just not taking that seriously. We must take responsibility for our sin. And we must connect our actions to our heart. Third, the need for gospel renewal. The need for gospel renewal. Verses 6 through 12 say this, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. This section is, is what really gets to the heart of David's desire in this psalm. It's, it's this section here that's, that's really at the heart of, of why he repents and why he's confessing to God. It's, it's not just some, some magic words where you know, he can go and do whatever he wants and as long as he just tells God what he did, then we're all good. 
He's got an actual heart of repentance. He realizes sin as as a, a thing that separates us from God. And he says, God, my desire is you. There was a time when when I committed the sin where I put something else above you, something else that I thought was going to be satisfying, something else that, that was gratifying for a moment. But I put that above you. And now I see that you are the only one who ultimately satisfies. You are the only one who brings ultimate satisfaction in my life. You are my desire. And so he says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Confession is not just something that we do so that we can continue to do whatever it is that we want to do. It's not, it's not just something we do so that we can continue in our sin and say, hey, you know, God's grace, I'm covered, all right? We're all good here. Jesus died on the cross. I'll just, I'll just live however I want. Man, sometimes we get that bad picture of grace. And you know what that is? That's, that's this idea that grace is nothing more than the forgiveness of God. That's part of it. God's forgiving our sin is part of it. But, but listen, the, the, the end of the gospel... The end of, of what Christ did on the cross is, is not just so we'll be forgiven of sin, but so that we'll be given new life, so that we can know God, so that we can be in relationship with God, so that he can create a new heart within us, so, so that we will be united with Christ in our lives forever. That's what David sees here. That's what David sees here. He sees his desire for knowing God as being greater than his desire for sin. One commentator, one commentator wrote this. He said, the goal of confession is not self-abasement, but a renewal of the joy and gladness that the faithful have in God's presence. The center of, of repentance is, is not just, just to get off the hook. It's to know God. It's to be conformed into his image. Man, that is good stuff. Number four, the need for true worship. The need for true worship. The more we come to recognize our sinfulness and God's holiness and faithfulness and grace towards us, the more we're going to worship him and love him. Jesus said he who has been forgiven much, loves much. He has been forgiven much, loves much. And the more we recognize this, the more we will live lives of true worship. Not, not, just, not just lip service, not just this, this confession as, as like a magic prayer or anything, but true worship. True worship. You know, when, when Jesus says, uh, he who has been uh, forgiven much, loves much, I kind of think of, um, you ever know somebody who, who married up? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you know what I'm talking about because it's you, right? Or as they say, you, you outkicked your coverage. Somebody who marries up, like I did, okay? Somebody who marries up, man, they treat their spouse like a, a, like a, a queen. Let's be honest, guys. I mean, it's always us who marries up, okay? And we treat our spouses like a queen, we recognize, we recognize that like, 
she's a 10 and we're like a four, okay? You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and so it changes, it changes the way that, that we view them. It, it, it changes us because we realize like we're, we're not deserving of, of this, this beautiful gift that God has given us. And, and, and yet we have it anyway. In the same way, when we recognize what God has done for us, when we, when we recognize what Christ has done on the cross for us, not just that he's forgiven us, but that he's given us new life, that he's united us to Christ, man, we worship him all the more. When, when that becomes reality in our lives, we worship him all the more. We speak his name. We, we sing loudly like we did this morning, right? We say, we say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, instead of, you know, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, right? And, and we tell others about what he's done. And, and we live a life as if we're actually united with Christ. We, we live a life as if he's actually given us new life because he has. He has. And, and we don't take that for granted. We say, Lord, I see what you have done for me and I delight in it. I desire it and I desire to know it all the more. And this is true worship of God. This is what God delights in. You know, David says that you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. You're, you're, you're not pleased by, by the fact that I showed up on Sunday morning. You're not pleased by the fact that I sang some songs. You, you, you're not pleased by the fact that I said some words. You're, you're pleased by the heart. You're pleased by the heart. That's true worship. That's where true worship happens, is in the heart. And last, we see the need for healthy community. The need for healthy community. In verses 18 and 19, he says, Do good to Zion and your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered in your, uh, on your altar. David recognizes the effect of the individual sin on the people, on the whole of the people of God. Repentance is not just something that, that affects us as individuals. Did you know that? Our sin is not just something that affects us as individuals. It affects the whole of, of the people of God. It affects this, this whole community. When, when there's sin in, in the local church, it, it affects the whole church. And the same with repentance. The same with repentance. Each member contributes to or detracts from the health of the whole. A commentator said, the ideal Israel is a community of forgiven penitence. Faithfully embracing God's covenant and worshiping him according to the rights he appointed. This is the community that can bring light to the world. Bring, this is the community that can bring light to the world. When we think of, of how Paul talks about the church as a body, we know that, that the body only functions best when, when every part is working, right? Man, I've, I always tell people, I've, I've got all 10 of my fingers, but only eight of them actually work, okay? I've, I've broken a couple fingers and, and didn't do the right therapy and everything, didn't do the exercises I should have done after that and everything, and I pay for it. And uh, one of them is, is on my left hand, and I play guitar. 
And I had to completely relearn how to play the guitar. And, and, and I cannot do the things that I used to be able to do on the guitar. I used to, you know, I could wail on the guitar back in the day, but uh, I can't do that anymore because not all five fingers work. I have one finger that doesn't work that well on that hand. And when I try to pick stuff up, my, my grip just isn't the same anymore in that hand. It's the same with the local body. Man, God is calling for, for the whole of the people of God to be in repentance, to be in repentance and to live in right lives. Confession of our sin is a beautiful thing. It's a recognition of our, our need for God's great mercy. It's a, it's a recognition that we still need him and that we still need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. It's a cry out to God saying, Lord, I need you. You are not done conforming me into your image. I want you to continue to mold my heart until it looks just like Christ. And how does that happen? It only happens through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus that we are forgiven as he dealt with our sins on the cross. God doesn't just sweep sin under the rug, okay? He's a just God who deals with sin. But when we put our faith in Christ, we're united with him and he has dealt with that sin on the cross. And he, he declares us righteous and he says, now live in what I have declared you to be. Live in what I have declared you to be. Have you recognized your your need for God's great mercy? Do you continue to recognize your need for God's great mercy? Or do you see it as just something that was like back then, you don't need it anymore, like you're good now? Do you see your continual need for it? Even in those, those little sins, have you thrown yourself on God's mercy? Do you seek heart renewal? Do you seek, do you seek for him to continue to mold your heart to be more and more like Christ? Do you seek to know the one true God all the more? And do you seek to worship him truly and bring him the glory that he deserves through your life and in the life of this church body? If so, then, then what is it that you're still holding on to? What is it that you're, you're still holding on to? What are the things that, that God is, is laying on your heart that, that you've tried to hold on to, that, that you've tried to, to put at the top of your priorities above God? Is it, is it sexual immorality? Things like pornography? Things like lust? Things like adultery, maybe? Sex outside of marriage? Are you holding on to grudges? Are you not forgiving others the way that God's forgiven you? Are you, are you stirring up division among his people in the church? Are you coveting, lying, cheating, acting or, or living out of fear? Are you simply just not trusting in God? Are you putting all of your hope in, in money or the things of this world rather than in him? Is God laying something or some things on your heart right now that he's calling you to repent from? Do you recognize your need for him? Do you recognize, do you own up to your sin? Do you want him to continue to mold your heart? 
Today we're, we're going to be taking communion. And I'm going to go ahead and, and ask the, the ushers and, and Keith Tyson uh, to come on up to the front. And as we're, as we're taking communion, I want us to, to really just um, take some time here to, to remember what, what this, this beautiful picture that Christ has given us is. And it's, it's a picture of, of what he has done. The psalmist constantly says, blot out my transgressions in this psalm. It's a reminder that, that Christ has done that through his body and through his blood. So, so pray with me for a minute, and then we're gonna, we're gonna hand out the, uh, the elements here. God, we thank you, Lord, 